Welcome back, Hit the Bottle listeners. I am your host, Michael Wangbickler. They say you should never meet your heroes. The people that you admire may disappoint you by not living up to your expectations when you encounter them in real life. The internet is full of horror stories about people meeting their celebrity idols and being crushed by the experience. Leadership comes at a price. I can confidently say that this has never happened to me, thankfully. In fact, when I've had opportunity to meet my heroes, most of which are in the wine business, by the way, it's always been a dream come true. That was the case when I had an opportunity to sit down with Michael Mondavi late last year and chat about leadership in the beverage business. It's an experience I won't soon forget. The Mondavi name is synonymous with wine in Napa Valley. The family has been truly instrumental in the ascendance of California wine over the past 100 years. For his part, Michael has been a leader and mentor to at least three generations of wine professionals. He's been an idol of mine for at least 20 years, so you can imagine how geeked I was when he agreed to be on the show. I really tried to not come across as too much of a fanboy. I hope I succeeded. Leadership is one of those nebulous areas that can be hard for someone to grasp. The expression, born leader, is frequently bandied about, but I'm of the opinion that leaders are made, not born. So when you get to chat with a true leader and hear their perspective, it's truly something special. So this episode is precious to me, and I hope you find it equally valuable. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to Hit the Bottle Podcast, a show for beverage sales and marketing professionals looking to up their game and further their careers and businesses. Viewed through the lens of strategy, technology, and leadership, we explore everything from digital marketing, e-commerce, brand building, public relations, and much more. Each week, we chat with industry experts and leaders, explore practical applications, and discuss what's happening in our world. Our goal is to provide you with the insights and strategies you need to create successful marketing programs. Now it's time to hit the bottle. Raised at Charles Krug Winery in St. Helena, his career began in 1966 when he and his father co-founded the Robert Mondavi Winery in Oakville, Napa Valley. In 1999, Michael, along with his wife Isabel and their two children, Rob Jr. and Dina, purchased the Animo Vineyard on Atlas Peak. This marked the first chapter of the Michael Mondavi family estate, creating a sustainable legacy to be passed down to the next generation. That same year, the family founded Folio Fine Wine Partners, a full-service wine importer and marketing agency, and today the company represents more than 20 family-owned and managed wine producers from around the world. Recognized as one of the global emissaries of California wine, he has been actively involved for decades in industry affairs and numerous civic activities. Welcome to the show, Michael Mondavi. It is a pleasure to be with you today. Oh my gosh, I'm like, I'm having uh, a little, I'm a little starstruck right now. So 
Uh, well, don't be. Let's just open a bottle. <laughs> that sounds good. Um, so uh, before we before we get started, uh, we're talking today about leadership um, in the wine business. It's something that uh, we've been exploring on the podcast a little bit um, throughout, and I'm super thrilled to have you on. So to start off, like what qual qual what qualities do you try? to embody as a leader? I think first is integrity. Uh, because if people don't believe in you or believe you, you can't lead anything. Um, and that integrity is earned over time through your actions. And um, I think leadership is both a learned skill and partially innate. Um, because there are people who try to be leaders mechanically and they're not really leaders, they're managers and they're managing people. And when you lead people, they do it because they want to, they follow you because they want to, not because they have to. Mm -hmm. So would you say that's empathy? It could be. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, being able to read people. You know, in a way that actually, you know, that, you know, as you say, that that innate skill, I think, is uh, might be that empathy. Yeah, the, the best people that worked with me over the years, I believe, were very successful because I think they were smarter than I was. And I was able to encourage them to hire people who they felt were even smarter than they. And uh, it really made a difference when at first I didn't have the confidence when I was young in business. I go, ooh, that person's too smart. I'm, I'm afraid to hire he or she. Yeah. Um, the opposite is true. If you hire people more brilliant or knowledgeable than you, you're the leader. Yeah. Yeah, a absolutely. So other than intelligence, what other qualities are you looking for in others? I think you have to be able to evaluate the character of people with whom you work, especially people on your team. If they have good character, if they are trustworthy and they can trust you and you can trust them, then magic can happen. So, okay, let's take, it, let's take that to mentorship. So what are the steps that we all need to take to mentor that the next set of leaders in, in the beverage business? I think the first thing is um, you have to have younger people who want to be mentored, mm -hmm. who want to be coached in how to improve whatever the skill or ability is. Um, you know, if if I had someone mentor me on how to play better basketball, it would be a total waste of time <laughs> because it wouldn't work. Um, I could have Stefan Curry yeah. try to teach me to be a great basketball player and it would be a waste of his time and of mine. Yeah, I've got so, like a six-inch vertical jump, so yeah, that, yeah, that wouldn't you. work for me either. So, But uh, my point is that it has to be someone who will – 
really help you. I had two wonderful mentors in my career. One of them had never had a job until he was 54 years old. He'd yeah. been a coupon baby, if you will, mm -hmm. a very wealthy family. But he understood life. He understood personal relationships and integrity. And I gained great value from his mentorship on that side, you might say. Mm -hmm. Another mentor was uh, a fellow by the name of Harry Surlis, who was president of Shenley Industries, the big distilling company during the 50s and 60s. He then opened his own ad agency in New York. He became president of the Wine Institute for about 15 years. And he taught me working with people and making sure that you followed up on everything you committed. Because if you didn't, your integrity starts waning. And so these two gentlemen in totally different ways were wonderful mentors to me. And I don't think a person should just have one mentor unless that mentor is some amazing person who can cover the spectrum of skills and abilities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One, uh, one challenge I think for a lot of uh, executives, if not leaders, is a certain lack of um, confidence in having mentors. You know, often enough times nowadays we're called them coaches. But um, I mean, would you say that everybody could use a mentor or a coach, even no, no matter how high up? in an organization they are? Everyone, no matter how, how high up and no matter how old or experienced, and particularly as I've aged, I have missed the fact that I have not had in the last few years someone that I could look at as a mentor or coach and say, hey, John, what do you think about this? Or what should I do about that? And have someone else to really help guide my thinking well and you know that's probably because you've transitioned from being mentored to being the mentor you know but even mentors need mentors yeah um and i think that during your maturity as either just a human being or as a business person um, there will be different types of mentoring that will be more valuable to you than others. And it, it will not be a constant mentor. Mm -hmm. it, it might be, it's, it's kind of like going grade school to high school to the university, then to the real world. You could almost use a different mentor in each of those venues. And or for different applications. For oh, different, absolutely. You know, different, yes. different particular areas. You might need a mentor for, you know, in, in terms of business development or finance. Mm -hmm. And you might need a mentor in terms of, uh, you know, just life issues and well, etc. The, the mentor who was the person who never really had a job till he was in his 50s, 
I wasn't about to ask him questions about business finance and things like that, whereas <laughs> Harry Serlis yeah. would, I mean, he'd be right on and he'd say, did you think about this or did, why don't you call so-and-so mm -hmm. and talk about this? Mm -hmm. And so you need to also hold your mentors accountable. Make them earn the privilege mm -hmm. of being a mentor. Got it. So, okay. So as somebody who's being mentored, what are some of the opportunities and challenges for this kind of new generation of leaders? I think the challenges today are how do you make sure that the digital age does not take away the interpersonal relationships? Uh, I've always said uh, back in the beginning and even today, wine is sold through personal relationships. We need all the digital information we can get. We need all the DTC tools we can get, but it's personal relationships and experiences that are so important. Yeah, and that's, you know, comes back to, you know, it's funny that all the buzz right now around marketing is about personalization. Yeah. And and what that means is basically that people want to feel like they have that personal touch with the company right. and that they that they feel like they have a connection. Yeah. In today's world, if you'll recall the old Bartles and James cooler, the wine cooler of yeah. what, 30 years ago? Yeah. And they were a couple of actors. It was all made up. Yeah. That would last for about 18 seconds in today's world. Yeah. Because they yeah. want to see who is Bartles and who is James and are they real? Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of what we've learned today through the digital capabilities of this is real and this is not. Yeah, it comes back to that authenticity. Mm -hmm. Integrity. Integrity, trust. Absolutely. You know, uh, it's funny that those are terms that are suddenly so important but they've always been important haven't they no the one of to me one of the sad things with today's world is that the younger people whether they be in school or younger people in business today with recordings and videos and this and that if you make a mistake it is indelible mm -hmm. it is there yeah. forever yeah and you can't go oops I learned from that and move on because it will never be forgotten. It'll never be erased. Yeah, my college career would have ruined me for sure if oh. I had grown up in the digital age. Uh, you, you and I are together. <laughs> oh. So, uh, so speaking of um, things that you know we're not proud of. Um, so, what can failure as a leader uh, teach us about leadership? Um, I, to me, the first thing you learn is how do you handle the failure? Mm -hmm. How do you first recognize it yourself? And then how do you honestly communicate that to your peers or your subordinates or to your business partners? And if you, uh, it's so almost redundant today, but if you try to cover it up, it is an absolute disaster. And what I learned about failure is try to recognize it early 
admit it early, and if you learn something from it so that you can improve in the future, it's not totally a failure, it's also a learning experience. Try to turn failure into education. Mm. Well, and I think especially, um, I think that in business today, the attitude has shifted also in terms of, of the kind of leaders that we want. We want our leaders to show vulnerability. We want our leaders to be more authentic and to be more relatable to who we are. And I think that, you know, your, your point about admitting your failures is, is one step in that direction. I don't know anyone who has not made mistakes. I don't know anyone who has not had business failures. It's how you handle the business failure, how you learn from the business failure so that you're stronger and better in the future is the important aspect. What doesn't kill us makes us stronger. Amen. <laughs> well, the first winery that we acquired years ago, we thought, oh, well, you know, we know what we're doing. We're Robert Mondavi Winery. We've got a great team, phenomenal management people, and this little company will just take it over. We didn't recognize, I didn't recognize the value of culture mm -hmm. within that smaller company. And instead of encouraging and nurturing the, the culture of that small company, we just kind of over, overpowered it. And as a result, that project failed. And what I learned from that is respect the culture, enhance, build, nurture that culture, albeit different than yours, but it's healthy and good. Here's a message from our sponsor. So um, what should executives like yourself recognize today in training the next generation? First of all, I know I can't predict the future. Yeah. Uh, and it's changing so rapidly today. Um, I think uh, one thing that would help, I think, for the younger executives today, think about and take time to think about balance in your life. Balance of your career, balance with your personal life, with your friends, and with yourself. Take time to look in the mirror and say, what is it I really want to do? Because there aren't enough hours in the day to accomplish everything you want to do in your career and in your personal life. But take a moment to think about that and make a little list of four or five things you want to accomplish in your career in the next year, in your personal life in the next year, and do the same for five years out. I have never yet accomplished all five of any one of those. Mm -hmm. And the good news is at least you have a roadmap of where you're trying to go. But for a young person growing, striving, Make your lists and try to maintain some balance because all of a sudden you may be going from 30 years of age 
to 62 years of age and going, oh God, I haven't done anything I wanted to accomplish. Or it could be you're 62 years old and saying, I have this great business and no personal life. Or you could say, I've got some wonderful balance and it's just a beautiful world. But it doesn't happen by accident. You have to think about it. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. It's something that is near and dear to me. I had um, somebody you might know on the show uh, a while back, Rebecca Hopkins, to talk about a balanced class. Um, in fact, if you look right behind you on the on the wall, I have my kind of dream board of my what my income, lifestyle, and contribution is going to be yeah. to life. So. Um, I think it is well, very important to have balance in your life. And, yeah. and I frankly, speaking of failure, I fail at that all the time. Uh, you're not alone. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> but the know. balanced life and the balanced glass is extremely important. And I think more of us should really understand that and get onto the website and learn about it. Great. Um, okay. So, uh, let's, we, we can't predict the future. But if we had a crystal ball, what do we think the leaders of tomorrow will look like? I think they will be younger than the leaders of today. I think they will be people who are workaholic in their early years and are wise enough to realize they have to get some balance and through their balance and personal life will be a smarter and make better decisions in their corporate or business life. Um, I think the young uh, people are maturing today in the art of business, if you will, at a far younger age than we did 10 or 20 or 30 years ago. And they're gonna have a far longer productive life as a business person if they so desire it, because we're living longer, healthier lives. And instead of, oh yeah, you have to retire at 63 and you're probably dead at 67. Yeah. Now some people start retiring at 75 or 80, my uncle still went to the office when he was 100 uh, yeah. to sign checks. Yeah. Yep. Drove my cousins yeah. in their 60s crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but, but I think the younger uh, leaders today, are they're going to be given responsibility at younger ages. Mm -hmm. They're not going to have the years or the miles of experience. But through, again, the digital age, the ability to learn quickly and understand a lot more information quickly and digest it, I think that they'll make wonderful, bright decisions at an earlier age than in my generation. Yeah, you know, and to that point, I think that we see this with, um, you know, millennials and Gen Z that they value experience and uh, frankly lifestyle over stuff, right? Like previous generations, like the boomer generation, you know, it was all about the cars that they drove and the house that they had um, and the toys that they had. Um, and I think that's less important to people now than it once was. And really, I think that also forms how they 
approach work as well. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think also that in, in my generation, if you had young people growing up, um, you'd want them, for example, in the wine business, you'd want them to spend time working in the cellar. To, and by time working in the cellar, I don't mean a month. I mean a year or two or three. And then time in the vineyards and time in, in today's world, they could spend a week in the cellar, learn 95% of what was learned over the two-year period previously, a week in the vineyard with the right, again, digital support and mentorship, and in a very short period of time, know every aspect in our industry, for example, from growing the grape to making the wine to the administration, the finance, the marketing, and the selling. And they could learn that in a, a very short number of years where historically it would have taken 20 plus to gain that knowledge. And I think that's what's exciting for the young people today uh, because they can learn not virtually actually doing it, but at a far accelerated pace and then find which aspect of the industry that really excites them. And that's the one that they should attack. Yeah. Just need us old farts to get out of the way. <laughs> yeah, push them, push them. Yeah, yeah. So my, my um, son and daughter work hard at that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're being more and more successful. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That, that shows that you've done something right, for sure. So, um, okay. So tell me a little bit about uh, your vision when you started Folio Fine Wine Partners. Well, when we started Folio Fine Wine Partners 15 years ago, the consolidation of the industry, whether it was hotels, restaurants, supermarkets, wine shops, they were consolidating. Distributors were consolidating. Wineries were merging together or being acquired. And I was convinced that, or I knew that my son, daughter, and I wanted to stay in the wine business, but I was also convinced that we weren't going to be a large company again. We made that mistake once. Mm -hmm. We're not going to repeat yeah. it. Um, but also, how do you bring a 30 to 60,000 case Napa winery to market in our distribution network? Right. How do you get the attention of the wholesaler, the distributor salesperson, the retailer, the restaurateur? It's almost impossible. I also, but I knew that the best wine in the world would be produced by family-owned, family-run wine companies. And I said, 90% of them are medium and small, like what we envision doing in the future. They're going to have the same problem. So why don't we go back to the old guild where 100 years ago, the craftsmen would bring their different crafts to a central marketplace, either once a month or once a week, and they'd sell it through that guild. And I said, why don't we do a modern guild where we have independent, family-owned, family-run wine companies interdependently marketing, selling, going through all the compliance and logistics in our 50 independent states plus the District of Columbia, and 
Therefore, when you go and talk with a wholesaler, instead of talking about 40 to 60,000 cases of wine, you could talk about a million cases of wine from 20 different suppliers mm -hmm. and have them be complementary, not competitive. And um, it's actually working out better today than I envisioned it would 15 years ago because the consolidation has really accelerated. Mm -hmm. And as we all know, we have one huge wholesaler and two big, big yeah. wholesalers <laughs> and then a few others. And it's very difficult. Um, you know, one wholesaler we deal with has uh, 856 beer, wine, and spirit suppliers, wow. over 25,000 SKUs. And how does my little wine from Napa right. get any attention there? Right. And unless we had 20 families' wines, and from a value standpoint, enough to be in the top 50 of those 856 wineries, I wouldn't get the time of day, neither would any of those winery owners. But because of the fact of working together as partners in marketing and selling our wines, we get the attention of the wholesalers. Hmm. That's, that's a really interesting model. Does anybody, do you know if anybody else is, is doing something similar or are you pretty much? Well, there are import companies and, 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 and agencies uh -huh. and all. Um, I don't know if any other wine company did it because they realized that in order to sell my right. wine, yeah. I have to bring in other fine wines right. that will not compete, but complement mm -hmm. my portfolio. Yeah. Yeah, that's neat. So, um, and then taking it back to leadership, why did you title your role at Folio as coach? Um, I actually didn't. Um, we were, we, when we started, we said, look, we'd, we'd just come out of being a public company and we'd sold a public company and we had all these official titles and executive vice president of that and vice president of whatever. And, and my son, daughter, and I said, you know, let's try not to have so many corporate titles. And I said, well, legally, we need to have a president and a secretary and a treasurer and things like that. And I said, the three of us are founders of the company. And my daughter said, Dad, you're always trying to coach or help people grow. Why don't we call you founder and coach? And I said, it's a hell of a lot better than president. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Um, and, the, and for those of coach soccer like myself, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's always nice to be called coach. Um, and you don't have to be able to play the game as well as the players. But by coaching and teaching them, you can allow them to excel beyond you. Yeah. And that, to me, is the whole part of leadership. Help people grow beyond you. What a great way to wrap it up. <laughs> Thank you, Michael Mondavi, for being on the show. I really appreciate you. A real here. pleasure to be here with you. Thank you very much. Thank you. This has been Hit the Bottle, a production of Balzac Communications and Marketing. You can find past episodes on our website at htbpodcast.com. 
Drop us a line on social at HTB Podcast or send us an email to mike at htbpodcast.com or emma at htbpodcast.com. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. If you like this show, please rate and review in any of the mentioned platforms. Thank you for joining us. Have a great day.